The Movie Health Podcast is proudly supported by Telemoods by eClapper Project Inc. Telemoods recommends which movies and TV series to watch by matching the user's mood and real-time offer of all streaming platforms. Download Telemoods today. Hi, welcome to the Movie Health Podcast. We talk about movies and mental health. I'm AJ, and today we're talking with Tim Bennington. Tim, would you like to just provide a short intro to yourself? Yeah, sure, no worries, um, AJ and Catherine. As AJ said, my name is Tim Bettington. I've been working in mental health for over 10 years. I sort of fell into the industry. I used to be a teacher after studying journalism and all sorts of things and fell into the job and I love working in mental health. I worked for a company called New Horizons for 10 years and about a year ago um, started up my own business which is called Shore Support Services and I uh, help NDIS participants mostly with social supports, getting out into the community and uh, hopefully making their day a little bit better and connecting them up with uh, appropriate services. Amazing. Well, thank you for your willingness to participate in this podcast. As I mentioned, we talk about movies and mental health. So we would love to learn about what your favorite movie is. Sure. As I said to you before starting recording, I am definitely into comedy movies, big Will Ferrell fan. Yeah. And I was telling someone that I help on a regular basis, you know, I could have chosen some of those movies like Anchorman 1, Anchorman 2, Old school is, is a crack up. And he said, laughter is the best medicine. Choose some of those. But for the purposes of this podcast and because I had seen it recently and I've got a memory like a sieve. So I've run with a movie called The Railway Man. And I just, I don't know how I came across it. Just one of those things that popped up on Netflix and press play. Very rarely am I brought to tears, but it was pretty darn close with this one. And just an amazing movie. Yeah, and so I hadn't seen it. I may have heard of it at one point, but for the purpose of this podcast, I've certainly made sure that I did watch The Railman. And just to help, I suppose, provide the listeners a little bit of detail on what Railway Man is. So it's a movie from 2013 starring Colin Firth, Nicole Kidman, Jeremy Iving, and Stellan Skarsgård. The synopsis is a former British army officer who was tortured as a prisoner of war at a Japanese labor camp during World War II, discovers that a man responsible for much of his treatment is still alive and sets out to confront him. I believe it's based on a true story because towards the end of the film, you actually see the real life people that were a part of the story. It was directed by Jonathan Tableski, Do My Best. It has a couple of writers. As I mentioned, it, it has its stars. This was around the time, I believe, that Colin Firth couldn't do any wrong. Nicole Kidman, I think, was probably at the same height. But yeah, a biography drama, slight romance. But let's dig into it. Please just let us know. We'd love to understand why it really connected with you or made an impact. Look, it's a horrific watch in parts of the movie. And going back to what you said on Based on a True Story, I did a little bit more research and I actually found some direct quotes from Eric, the man himself. And so it's about the building of the Thai Burma Railway um, during World War II. And basically the Japanese soldiers have captured 
English, Australian, etc. soldiers. And it was actually called the Railway of Death or something like that. I mean, it, where I can't think of the name of where it's located, but I'm sure we'll get to that. I have it written down somewhere here. But I've been to Thailand before and it's hot. Mm. Building a railway itself is hard work, let alone if you're, you know, a prisoner of war. And I just can't imagine the humidity and the horrific conditions that they would have been put under during that time. And they definitely don't leave any stone unturned as to how difficult that would have been. The other thing I find fascinating about the movie, there's really only two, three, or maybe four characters, the young version and the old version. So in terms of when you, I thought you might ask me about my favourite character, Eric, he's the main guy, Colin Firth captured by Japanese soldiers and treated absolutely horrendously by them. And his, I guess, post-traumatic stress from that event is made very evident. His wife is uh, Nicole Kidman, otherwise known as, can you remember her name? Starts with P, I think. Oh, Patty. Patty, Patty thank yeah. you. Patricia, yeah. correct. She sticks by him and she said, at one point during the movie, she says, I want the real Eric back. I know he's there. I know he's a good man. And as I said, I mean, the man has terrible nightmares, flashbacks, etc., etc. And ultimately, spoiler alert, it's a journey of forgiveness for him and the strength that that must have taken to be able to do that is extraordinary. A direct quote that I found from him, I think it was in a New York Times publication, said when he, in the final scene, which we will discuss, when he went to see Mr. Nagasi, Nagasi, yeah, he didn't actually go there to forgive him during that final scene, but because Mr. Nagasi, he just managed to turn it around During that time period, he said the guy was so full of regret and sorrow. So I just thought that was amazing because I assumed he'd gone there to forgive him and give him the letter and say, let's be friends, you know, but he hadn't actually gone there to do that. And it was just the fact that Mr. Nagasi, the the torturer, for, for want of a better word, was so, he basically said he was me. He lived the horror and... He was so graceful and so full of regret. And Eric said, Mr. Lomax, he's often called, I haven't forgiven the Japanese people as a whole, but I forgave him, which I thought was really interesting. And I suppose I should have mentioned it before and I'll figure that we add this back in, but um, we should certainly acknowledge Eric Lomax being the one that contributed to the screenplay of this movie. And so, you know, that's a very pure transition from real life to screenplay. So, yeah, I'll just acknowledge that, you know, he was one of the key yeah. as part of the movies. When I started watching the movie, sort of the opening, after the title card, talking about that it's sort of based on a true story. And as the movie sets up, you are introduced to Colifer's character, Eric, and he has clear obsession with trains. So you do wonder, well, what, what is this obsession with trains? And he's also, you know, quickly introduced to being a veteran. He goes to this club with other veterans and he's, you know, he's 
scribbling and talking about trains and, you know, by himself with the beer on a notepad. Um, and there's a little bit of interaction with Finley, uh, which mm. is the Stellan Skarsgård character. And I suppose what caught me, I wasn't entirely sure of the time that it was set, mm. but in that period of time, you didn't really learn too much about what Eric had gone through and why he had the obsession with trains, if that's fair. Mm. Um, but then, and I probably messed that order up, but he meets Patty on a train, they form a relationship, they get married, and only at that point do you realise that Eric has gone through some really traumatic experiences at his time as a soldier, or, um, you know, all we know at that point is time as a soldier. When I was watching it, I was watching it with my wife and saying, wow, you know, Eric really hadn't, it wasn't obvious that he was experiencing any mental issues or any post-traumatic conditions until he was in a home with Patty. And would have been horrendous because he had no one to talk to and Patty had to manage that. And that's where we really, that sort of unveils the true story about what he experienced, which I thought was really effective. Yeah. And she was obviously an extraordinarily strong woman that I would imagine many times wanted to give up. I think even in the movie, it may have suggested that, you know, she was ready to give up at one point in time when Finley walks up to her and and basically encourages her to stay with us and stay with Eric. The other thing I found fascinating with the group that you talk about, it was like, I guess, a war support group. And Finley, he was seen as the the strong character. I don't know what else that Stellan Skarsgård has been in, but... I recognise his face, and I didn't recognise his name, but he's great. Um, he doesn't play a major role in the movie, but the all the soldiers see him as like the big brother, and they call him mm. uncle, and it seems as though he has it all together. He's the one that is the glue, and obviously later in the movie, we find out that's not the case with Finley, you know? Well, and I probably difficult to talk about without... I wouldn't call it a spoiler, but there is a pivotal point with Finley towards the movie that maybe strangely motivates Eric to ultimately try and go and find, you know, those responsible in torturing him. Uh, you know, I believe Finley found um, what was his name. It was he wasn't he wasn't a torturer. It was actually the translator, I believe. Oh, Mister Nagasi, yeah. So yeah, and, yeah. And I, I, I also believe that the the events that you see in the movie and you mm. correct me if i'm wrong here but I, I i think i'm right is that the translator mr nagasi he only in inverted commas tortured him for one day so i don't think yeah. mr nagasi actually tortured this man over a period of weeks I, I think and i could be wrong and anyone's feel free to correct me it was just one day, but it was a horrific day. And he does say, you know, later in the movie, I want to forget that day. I need to forget that day, the torturer. And give it affected him for the rest of his life. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose, as we set it up now, it is not a particularly easy watch. It is a very intense, emotionally demanding story to watch what Eric had gone through as a prisoner of war in Singapore by the Japanese, building the railway, trying to figure out how they can survive, being transported everywhere by by trains, which is where he developed, I suppose, his obsession or way of coping. 
but is there any particular themes that connect with you or affect you or draw you into this type of movie apart from it? Yeah, story? sure. Look, obviously, I just couldn't believe he was willing to forgive that man. The, the strength that it took for Eric to forgive him, the empathy, the... I just found it extraordinary that he could have gone through that and come out the other side and actually become really good friends with the guy. In the New York Times article, he said, we spent days together after that, laughing, drinking, joking. So they'd gone from literally worst of enemies in the whole entire world to best of friends that kept in contact, not just via letters, face to face until the day they died. It's just a remarkable story. It almost seems unbelievable um, Mm. that it could happen, but it happened. The other thing, I mean, it's not a theme as such, but war, war is good for no one. I don't care what war it is. I don't care what it's over. Everyone hurts in war. I've never been through it. I don't want to go through it. But, you know, without getting into current affairs, no one wins in war. And I think if everyone could see that movie, you know, whether it's Russia, Ukraine, whatever, and watch that movie and just have a rethink about the effect that it's having on everyone, families, individuals, and humans everywhere. Wouldn't it be great if we could just have a huge reset, never have a war again? (laughs) I suppose I'd love to get your views on this, Catherine, but I'd agree, Tim. I'd agree that one of the most moving elements of the movie and the way it's done does take you, I suppose, by surprise a little bit, is that Eric ultimately ending up forgiving someone, Mr. Nakasaki, who was part of this long period of torture. And Finley, his friend, found Mr. Nakasaki and, you know, I believe gave him a knife and said, look, we want you to ultimately go and find this man, get revenge. And I think that's what Eric, that may have, well, no, that may have been Eric's intention is to get revenge use violence to try and solve the situation and I've certainly been in circumstances in life where I've had an altercation with someone and I certainly wouldn't want to the initial thought is oh yeah I've got to get him but as you really sort of dig deeper into the scenario and the person involved you know there are certainly alternatives maybe one is understanding the person or the situation and as you said Tim war is complex I mean Eric was a prisoner of war and there were people in the Japanese army that needed to do certain things to set a level of control with the soldiers. But yeah, that ultimately, you know, going from potential murder to torture to forgiveness is a significant transition for someone to go through and take so much courage to have that level of empathy. I think upon, well, basically has a couple of visits that you see in the movie. And I think for the first visit, he was... According to the movie, I think he went over there to get revenge. I said, if I see this man, I will kill him. And Mr. Nagasi, the the torturer, was basically profiting from the war and showing people around those sites. But he later found out that he was helping the Allies, you know, find where bodies were buried and helping them work out who had died and where and all that sort of stuff. And Eric later found out that the work that he was doing was actually reconciliation work and which would have been brought about I'm quite sure by guilt and shame as to what he'd done to Eric. Catherine, do you have any thoughts? 
Yeah, so I guess watching this film, it's, it's really extraordinary, like we're saying, because it shows what the human spirit is capable of. And I think this is a clear example of post-traumatic growth. So that's a concept where people experience something very like a crisis or something traumatic, but then they're able to grow from that. And because Eric is clearly, he experiences PTSD. So it's like really clear that he has severe anxiety. He's emotionally detached. He has nightmares. He's intensely distressed. And like he has a sense of helplessness, but from the experience of him being able to forgive, like choosing forgiveness over revenge, he was able to grow. And like not only him, but Nagasi as well, where they're able to form like a mutual friendship and connection that lasted till death. So I think that was a really beautiful example, a very extreme example. But yeah, like you said, Tim, something that um, like world leaders even and people in current wars can watch and learn from. On And going back to what you just said, one of the quotes from Eric, this is a direct quote from the man himself in the New York Times article I spoke about. I've just got it here, so I'll read it to you if that's okay. He said, I had come with no sympathy for this man, yet through complete humility, Mr. Nagasi turned it around. And I think that was the final scene where he hands him a letter, which if you'll allow me to, I might read what the letter said at the end. That's where you're sort of thinking, wow, what an amazing man. Because Eric had, his letter was in response to a letter by Mr. Nagasi, who had apologized. And Eric says, I think we need to go over there again to his wife and they go over there together meet at the site of the death railway as it was known not the exact term but you get my drift and you see mr nagasi coming towards them and they sort of meet in the middle and mr nagasi breaks down and then hands a letter to um uh, eric hands a letter to him and that's where we find out almost everything is forgiven for that man yeah i found it really powerful that Eric mentions, like in the film anyway, total forgiveness. Yeah, actually says total forgiveness. And the scene where Nagasi breaks down, you know, I broke down. Like I found that that there was such like mutual empathy and compassion that seemed impossible between these two men, but they actually found like within themselves and with each other. So that was extremely powerful and, you know, inspiring. Yeah. And I mentioned that quote earlier. I'll read it directly just in case I made an error. Eric himself in that same article said, I haven't forgiven Japan as a nation, but I've forgiven one man because he's experienced such great personal regret. In a way, that made me really sad because I thought he'd forgiven more than one man. I truly thought he'd forgiven Japan, the war. We had a job to do and we had to do it for the country in inverted commas. I'm hoping towards the end of his life, maybe he had forgiven Japan. You know, they, again, had a job to do, as did he. And I don't think anyone wanted to do it. I don't think anyone wants to kill people and wants to mistreat people. If they do, awful. But 99.999% of people, I don't think, want to hurt other people. You know, it was a job that had to be done by both sides, I guess. What was the way they saw it? So just going to, I know that November was uh, the month for mental health and this film is a really great example of it. And so I'm just wondering, Tim, if you wanted to speak to that in terms of the characters. So obviously um, we, we are shown the journey of Eric and Nagasi when they're young during the war and then as they're older um, and they experience a very different relationship, a friendship. I found it really interesting that there was this war support group, but 
like Patty, when she confronted um, Finland's character, she said, you know, there's a code of silence. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to put up with that. I can't live like this. So, yeah, because Eric shut her out and basically was not communicating with her about what was happening to him. And I think that was out of kindness <laughs> as well because he loved his wife so much. He didn't want to tell her what he'd been through in order to recover and find that forgiveness within himself. He had to speak about it. And I'm sure, as we know, that men particularly... Um, women as well, but um, men more so still find it hard to talk about mental health, particularly I grew up in country, New South Wales, particularly country people, like farmers and, you know, build a bridge, get over it, harden up all that. I'm very lucky that I've had my own mental health challenges and I've got a supportive family. My brother's fantastic, but can't imagine in those times, it would have been a code of silence. And if you did speak about it, you wouldn't have, there wouldn't have been much empathy from anyone. Either there would have been empathy from the support group, I suppose, and there was empathy. <laughs> but they definitely weren't encouraged to speak about it with anyone close to them outside of the people who'd been in the war. And, you know, he, he didn't want to hurt his wife. And I'm quite sure that had a significant part in him just going, I have to deal with this by myself. I can't put Patty through it as well because it may break her. Yeah, and like a really intense um, line that uh, Lomax says to Takashi, he says, I'm still at war, if you remember that line, mm. when they're confronting each other. And it's kind of like, even though it happens, like physically happened like years ago, decades ago, like internally he was still experiencing that trauma. And yes, he needed to actually seek support um, and and the the first person he needed to talk to was his wife. So like yeah, I guess we we are we go on that journey and that transformation where he's able to finally speak to her, which she really needed from him. And that I think that happens a lot, um, just generally in with men. That it's like you kind of want to not burden anyone, like burden your wife, your your friends, or your your family with um, your struggles. But like, you know, with society, there's, there might be a lot of like taboo or stigma around mental health. And if that changed, maybe men wouldn't feel the need to hide everything. I really thought things had changed. I don't know if you guys are into sport, but I am. <laughs> Andrew Johns is a very famous rugby league player and he, the best ever. And he came out and said, I'm, I'm, I think he has bipolar disorder. He took drugs all the time, you know, the day before a match drinks regularly, still has quite serious mental health problems. And he came out and said, I've got problems. And then so many other famous people said, me too, me too. And I thought that was a, a real turning point. But unfortunately, suicides are, are still happening. Mm. And they're happening to people who a lot of the time seem really happy on the outside and would seem like they have it all together. They have a great family. They have children. And they're very happy people on the outside, but inside there, there's still a lot of pain. So point being, I guess, even if people think, if you think someone has the life, there's a very real possibility that, you know, deep down they're struggling. So be kind to everyone, happy, sad or otherwise, because you just never know. Yeah, that's a very important point to touch on. 
I think there's a famous quote that says, that, yeah, be kind for everyone. Everyone you meet is fighting a battle you don't know about. That's it. Yeah, and it's so true. Even particularly the ones that seem really happy on the outside. Apparently there's a, a, a stat about comedians that, mm. you know, quite often comedians are, are very depressed people, which it's unbelievable, you know. But it's a mask, it's an act, it's put on very well by a lot of people. So if someone who is very happy comes to you for a chat, please listen. Don't say, mate, you're happy all the time. What are you talking about? Carry on, get another beer. Well, you know, sit, listen, and if you can, listen some more. There you go. So you're on a roll. I was going to ask you, um, what, what would your mental health tips be then? I thought you were kind of touching on that. Yeah, look, as I was saying to you guys earlier before we started recording, there are the obvious things that you can do. Exercise. I hate exercise with a passion, but when you do it, you do feel better. There's not mm. one day I think, oh, wow, I'm looking forward to going out and doing a, a jog and some push-ups. Even the fitness fanatics, I don't think they enjoy it every morning or every afternoon or whenever they do it. But I think I read it on uh, you know, David Goggins. He's quite an inspirational chap. Uh, I follow a Facebook thing and people put things up there. And one of them was... The quote was, I don't think I've ever looked forward to doing exercise, but I don't think I've ever regretted doing the exercise after it. I've always felt so much better. So 100% of the time, I didn't want to do it, but 100% of the time, I felt better every time. And you do. I mean, it's, it's just a fact. And it's hard to get your head around that before you've put your sneakers on and gone for a walk or whatever. It doesn't have to be you know, a, a sprint or a marathon. It's hard to get your head around that when you feel like you have a brick in your head, you know, to go out and do some exercise. But if you can get past, you put your shoes on, walk out the door, even if you take 10 steps, if you take the 10 steps and you're out the door, you'll probably take more. So do that, you know. And if you only take 10 steps and turn around, hey, at least you've you've seen the sun and you can tell someone you've exercised, even if you haven't. So everyone's a winner, you know. yeah. About starting. Exactly, exactly. And a great book as well, which I would encourage everyone to read, is called Atomic Habits by James mm-hmm. Clear. It's always on the top readers' list or top listeners' list on Audible. It's yep. an absolute cracker. Like, get your shoes ready, get your shirt ready, have everything ready to go the night before. So everything is easier than it otherwise would be. Like, if you've got to get your shirt out, get your socks out, that may be the one thing that stops you from going for exercise. If it's there at the end of your bed, ready to go, much more likely to get out the door. Something else that is very helpful is meditation. I sort of pretend I'm a big meditator, but I'm not really. I want to be, but I'm not. I don't do it enough. There's a saying that says, if you don't have enough time to meditate, you need to meditate more. And it's so true. When you're in a good frame of mind, and you meditate often, you seem to be in a better frame of mind. You just get things done, which gives you more time to meditate. People say, I can't do it. I have all these thoughts going around in my head all the time when there's silence. That is what's supposed to happen. So it's like the defragging of a computer. It's getting rid of all the junk, and then it's easy enough. I think the easiest way probably is to focus on your breath. And then as soon as you have a thought, you say, I've had a thought go back to focusing on my breath and every one second you'll have a thought and take it back and eventually the thoughts disappear and you float off into some sort of fantasy land which is 
much nicer head full of constant thoughts. I, I'm a big believer in there's Facebook quotes and there's TikTok quotes and all that sort of things. And I like them. I remember saying to my brother, why do you read self-help books? You know what to do, just do it. Because he's a nice guy, right? And he doesn't have mental health problems. And so he probably does, I shouldn't say that. He's probably got as many problems as me, probably hides it quite well. But somehow I got into self-help books after saying that to my brother. I love them. Something that I think is really helpful. Again, context is very important with all of these. So I understand that at times there are certain incidents that take place that you can't forgive people. You may not be able to find it in your heart on that day to be able to forgive someone for what they did. One, if it's today or tomorrow or every day, if you can go out into the world and treat everyone as your comrade as opposed to your enemy or just a piece of human flesh, it'll make a huge difference to your life. A lot of the time... We look at people and think, why are they looking at me? They're looking at me funny. They're thinking about me, you know, and it makes you agitated. It makes you anxious. But if you can go out there thinking that everyone is your comrade and is on your side, I did it one day and you can't believe how many people said hello. Like, I may have said hello more. Like, I may have had a different look on my face because of that attitude, but people were so friendly and if someone's looking at you and they're your comrade, you're more likely to say, how are you, buddy? Lovely day today or something. And they're more likely to respond in, in a positive manner. So go out there and literally everyone is a friend you haven't met. Do you know what I mean? So that's another good way to look at it. So go out there with that attitude and everything will change and the world just becomes a much nicer place. As we've already discussed, be kind. Everyone's trying their best. Everyone's fighting their own battle, as Catherine said before. One of the hardest ones is when you are feeling depressed, know that those feelings will pass. You have to sit with them. As my friend said one day, it might pass like a watermelon, but it'll pass. I think it was a friend that was going through quite a difficult separation at the time, and I was amazed that he said, now it's really bad, but I know things will get better, and things will get better. And you may have to sit with those feelings, talk with friends as much as you can, as difficult as that is. Know that those feelings will pass. Look for the good in life and look for the good in everyone. It's a bit like if you say kids uh, play I Spy with my little eye. If you look for something blue or green or you could pick any colour, I could find it in my room. I'm just having a look around now. If you look for blue, you'll find it. If you look for green, you'll find it. If you look for good, you will find it. So if you can go out there with that attitude, if you look for positives, you will find it. And I find another thing that's helpful, even if you think there's nothing positive in your life, find something that's just okay. So that you may feel like there's nothing good and feel quite negative. But even if there's something that's just okay, I have shelter, I have food, I have a friend I can talk to. Or if you have no friends, I can possibly find a friend that I can talk to. Take it to that level if you need to. And to, so tying it back to, thank you so much for sharing those. And when we talk with other healthcare professionals, a lot of the tips that we hear on mental health are really practical, simple life style, or even just, yeah, just super practical tips that we can all take on to maintain and sustain our mental health. You know, you provided quite a few very straightforward practical tips. 
In terms of the railway, man, I, I was just interested in your thoughts on, but by watching a movie like The Railway Man, based on a true story, very traumatic, do you think stories like that told to think about life in a broader sense and particularly your life in a broader sense and, and try and get those key messages out of that type of story? Yeah. As, I as think, just telling yeah. how horrific life is. Do you know what I, Does that make sense? I think so. I think so. And it's very, humans have a very bad habit of remembering the bad things that have, have happened. Yeah. You know, my talking to someone that I helped the other day, I only spoke about it, I think, because of the movie. My dad is a great man. He, he's so kind and so generous. And But we've had disagreements over my 45 years. Not many, probably a handful. Yeah. But I remember every single one so vividly, but the, all the good stuff, which outweighs anything bad. And it's not even bad, right? It's just an upset child, what dad may have said, you know, mm. um, to me. Nothing bad, nothing that would cause me any lasting problem whatsoever. But we are so good at holding on to the bad. I'm good at it. I'm super good at it. I, as I said, I remember every argument I've ever had with my mum and dad yeah i want to let it go but i find it really difficult and the good outweighs the bad by a million but i find it hard to remember the good and those sayings that those suggestions that i have told you yeah i'm probably the worst at carrying those out so it is not easy task it is almost an impossible task where you have to have every piece of the jigsaw in the right place to get the full picture of mental health perfect. Some of us may have it together for one day and all the pieces are in the right place. No one has the jigsaw together 100% of the time, 100% of their life. Exactly. So I'm not saying it's easy. I don't do what I preach. I wish I did. But it's been a great reminder to myself to talk about this stuff. That comrade uh, thing that I spoke about, I haven't done that for a long time. I was yeah. talking about it with my exercise physiologist this morning and I could see something tick over in him. Oh, wow, I might do that today. But I'm going to practice all this stuff because we've spoken about it and you need a reminder and you need to practice it. If you don't practice it, you won't get better at it. You need to be more positive. At least you have to make an attempt and mm. keep doing it. And hopefully you can build neuro pathways if you think it's scientific to, yeah. to help you with your depression, etc., or, or whatever you happen to be going through. I mean, poor old Eric didn't have many positive experiences of war, so there wasn't anything good, really, that came out of that. You know what I mean? Mm. So there's always context for Eric, you know, for him to say, look at the good at what happened in the war. Surely there was something that was just okay. I guarantee you there probably wasn't, so there's context. Yeah. And I, I'm speechless that he was able to forgive. I just am dumbfounded by the whole thing. I can happily watch that last um, scene over and over again. Yeah, same. And I think I know what you're saying, that, you know, not nothing necessarily good came out of his experiences, but the gift that he received was the perseverance of his wife. Yeah, that, like, exactly. The fact that he had some a partner like that. Exactly. Who, who was willing to go through it with him. Um, and and that was his gift. Unbelievably, the gift was the friendship with the, the fellow at the end. Yeah. You know, as hard as that is to compute in my head, he did it. 
which is unbelievable. I don't know how much more you want to discuss, but would you allow me to read the letter at the very end of the movie that Eric hands Mr. Nagasi? Yeah, that's yeah. fine, mate. Yeah. yeah, we can add it in some way. That's totally fine. Yeah. So this is basically in response to a letter that Mr. Nagasi had sent to him. And as I said, from doing further research, he didn't go there to forgive him, but because he saw that he was in so much pain, he did forgive him at the time of giving him this letter. And the Mr. Nagasi said, I'm sorry, so sorry. I don't want to live this day anymore. And Eric says, neither do I, and hands him a letter. And this is while they're sort of hugging and Mr. Nagasi's in tears. And it says, dear Mr. Nagasi, the war has been over for many years. I have suffered much, but I know you have suffered too. And you have been most courageous and brave in working for reconciliation. While I cannot forget what happened in Cantonaburi, sorry for the pronunciation there, I assure you of my total forgiveness. Sometimes the hating has to stop. And that that last part of that sentence, sometimes the hating has to stop, mm. to me is just so powerful. Like love has to conquer, the hating has to stop. Take it whichever way you want it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and I just want to say that that letter is a clear example. I actually wrote a few themes um, that I got ready for before this podcast as well. Um, so honor, hope, bravery, friendship, unconditional love, perseverance, justice, and peace. I think like that letter alone summarizes all those things. Mm. It's a powerful example. And just another tip, if you don't mind, for people. If you can't find, I think happiness is very difficult to have for a long period of time mm. consistently. I think peace may be a better, a better thing to attempt to find. And with peace comes happiness. So if you can't find happiness, find peace within yourself and don't, if you can, don't let anyone else's actions or reactions affect your peace within. Again, easy to say, very, 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 very difficult to do, but I think peace is easier to find than happiness if that helps anyone. Well, I think, I don't know how to summarize that, this conversation, but I suppose let's start with a big thank you. So to Tim, I think movies and mental health, also easy to say, hard to do. I think it's fascinating being introduced to new movies to learn about new stories and then yeah, really think about new things. Think about how stories can affect your life and how those stories can ultimately think about, you know, many things that you've explored, but, you know, peace within you, good can conquer bad, avoid the fixation around the bad and try and use, you know, simple practical techniques to improve and maintain your mental health like the camaraderie I really liked engaging with people trying to induce a smile you know you start with a smile induce another smile with other people Uh, fitness we hear quite a bit around mental health you know just having your socks in the bed and getting out and having a walk does does a world of good so thank you so much for I suppose you know opening our eyes and sharing a new movie an oldie but a goodie and fairly intense story And yeah, super practical tips for mental health. So we really appreciate your time and your advice and your thoughts. No worries at all. And it was a great reminder for myself as to what I need to focus on, uh, to be honest. As someone that sort of, you you find people in the the caring industry that care for others, you do often forget about yourself. So it was a good reminder Mm. for me to, a a nice refresher. It was like like doing a 
six-month course in a couple of days. But, you know, by thinking about all this stuff again, so I really appreciate it. And, you know, hopefully we can do it again, try and find another slightly more positive movie that has other messages as well. Uh, so please, please do Anchorman because it's one of my favourite movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, if you if you know if you know that movie Inside and Out, I'd love to do that too. We haven't done it. Anchorman, we haven't done a comedy comedy yeah. yet. Anchorman Two is so politically incorrect, but there's just pieces yeah. of it. It's oh just god. oh my god, he's just a remarkable man, that fella. I'm mm. sure three quarters of his stuff isn't scripted, Will Ferrell. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so Love Laughter is the best medicine episode. We can yeah. we could do yeah. that, AJ. There are some times when I'm like, you know what, I can't do a comedy because I can't see myself laughing out loud, particularly if you're sitting here watching it by yourself. If it's mm. with someone, it's always easy. It's easy to laugh if you're with someone. So there are times when I can't actually bring myself to watch a comedy because I'm like, you know what, I don't think I'm going to laugh at that, and I know I should, which is yeah. pretty bloody sad, but, you know. <clears throat> but Anchorman got me, so... Was all right. All right, Tim. Well, thank you. Yeah, great to meet you virtually. Uh, thanks. No again. worries. There'll be a, a next steps email with all the stuff that we need to do next. But we'll, yeah, we'll save the recording and the transcript in a folder, like a OneDrive folder that you can access. We will need a like a profile picture of yourself as well yep. for the blog, but we don't have to do that straight away. And then we'll give you an edited version of this. And then it'd be great if you just listen to it, make sure it's coherent. We will mix, sort of change stuff around a bit so it has a better flow. But uh, yeah, love your feedback on it and make sure you're happy with it. Yeah, we no worries. It the world. No worries at all. All right, Mace. Well, have a good rest of your Friday. Have a good weekend and hear from you. Well, hear from us next week. No worries. And uh, hopefully I'll meet you in person, Isa, at some point. Yeah, yeah. No, well, the uh, podcast studio, Western Sydney, is, yeah, it's, it's good. We should really have to try and use that more. Catherine and I had done virtual, yeah, 10 or 12 podcasts until we did one in person. And it does make. I listened to the one that you recorded in there. That definitely sounded good. All right, guys. Take care. Have a good day. Yeah? Thank you. Comrade, comrade. Oh. <laughs> See ya. Bye. Thanks, Jim. No worries. Bye. Bye.